0: To 51 is kind of an appendix to Jeremiah in that it's not talking about Judah and Jerusalem like the rest of it was really in many ways Jeremiah ends in chapter 45 and now you've got Jeremiah to the other nations and you've got that in a lot of the prophets Isaiah had 13 to 23 <laughs> Ezekiel has 25 to 32 Amos has a section on that in chapters one and two Zephaniah has that in chapter 2. God has messages to other nations besides just the Jews, and so this is kind of a compendium of the various prophecies to the other nations. So chapter 46 was Egypt, chapter 47 the Philistines, and now chapter 48 is about Moab, and so that's what we're going to start with and look at, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about all of that as we get into it. So, would somebody read 48, 1 to 10?
1: Concerning Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Woe to Nebo, for it has been destroyed; Kirathaim has been put to shame and has been captured; the lofty stronghold has been put to shame and shattered. There is praise for Moab no longer. In Heshbon they have devised calamity against her. Come and let us cut her off from being a nation. You too, madmen, will be silenced. The sword will follow after you. The sound of an outcry from Horonaim. Devastation and great destruction, Moab is broken, for little ones have sounded out a cry of distress. For by the ascent of Luhith they will ascend with a continual weeping, for at the descent of Puraniam they have heard the anguished cry of destruction. Flee, save yourselves, save your lives, that you may be like a juniper in the wilderness. For because of your trust in your own achievements and treasures, even you yourself will be captured, and Chemosh will go off into exile, together with his priests and princes. A destroyer, a destroyer will come to every city, so that no city will escape. The valley will also be ruined, and the plateau will be destroyed, as the Lord has said. Give wings to Moab, for she will fly away, and her cities will become a desolation, without inhabitants of them. Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently, and cursed be the one who restrains his sword from blood.
0: Okay. So, where did Moab originate? Lot. Lot and and a daughter. Remember that uh, rather sordid tale. And the Moabites lived in what general area? Southeast. Southeast. Yeah. Right, pretty much... To the east of the Dead Sea. So above them was the territory owned by Israel. What we might call Gilead. Remember which tribe was right above them? Reuben. Reuben. And below them would have been what nation? Edom. Edom, that's right. So that's where Moab was. Now there are a lot of different prophets that announced the destruction of Moab. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zebaniah... And here, Jeremiah, um, he, t- he says woe to Nebo, and really the whole chapter is an exposition of the woe on Moab. As you look through this, even some of what we said, what we read, but especially as you look on through like to verses 21 to 25, what do you see a lot of in this uh, oracle against Moab? City names? City names. So, Jeremiah knew a lot about Moabite terrain, and he mentions all kinds of names of cities. Now, how much does it mean to you to uh, hear in this uh, prophecy about these different specific Moabite cities that will be going down to destruction? Nothing? Yeah. Yeah. And it's about like me trying to talk about all these cities in Brazil. Uh You know, when you haven't been there, you've never heard of them. Doesn't mean a whole lot. But what if I said, think of the difference between saying, there was tornado activity in the northern hemisphere today. And saying, tornadoes ripped through uh Wanamaker and Broad Ripple and Greenfield and Greenwood and, and Avon and Brownsburg and Jamestown and, you know, things like that. Doesn't it make a lot more impact to us when I use specific place names that we've heard of? So while this may seem foreign to us, wow, can you imagine the Israelites or the Moabites hearing this? This is very powerful. Now, he does something with some of these city names. But we couldn't tell that. You can't hardly translate a pun across languages. But look at verse 2. When he says, in Heshbon, they have devised calamity against her. Heshbon and devise are puns. They have the same consonants. Or when he says, you two madmen will be silenced. The word madmen and silenced. Have the same main consonants so he does a lot of puns but you'll never know it because <laughs> uh, if you ever try if you know another language try to translate a pun from one language to the other it just doesn't work so uh, so he's doing even some of that but he's really showing the destruction uh, the impending catastrophe the inescapable judgment on moab look at verse three devastation Great destruction. Verse 4. Moab is broken. The little ones are crying. Everybody's weeping. Verse 5. Anguish, cry of destruction. The end of verse 5. So what does he tell the Moabites to do in verse 6? Run. run. Run for your lives. Isn't that basically what he's saying? Things are going to be bad. And what was it that the Moabites were trusting in in verse 7? Three things. Their own achievements. Their
1: own
0: achievements. Treasures. Their treasures. And what else can you see they were trusting in in verse 7? Themselves. Themselves and what else?
2: Their priests
0: and officials. Yeah, and who's Chemosh? Their God. Their God. Chemosh was the big Moabite deity. So they were trusting in themselves, their accomplishments, their riches, and their God. How much were all those things going to protect them? None. That's it. A destroyer will come to every city, verse 8. No city will escape. You can't get away from this destruction. Look at the end of verse 8. Why can't they get away? God said it. it. You can't get away from anything God says. If he says it, it'll happen. Your, your parents ever said anything and you managed to get out of it? either you caught them napping or you talked your way out of it or whatever, <laughs> doesn't happen that way with God, um, so he says give wings to Moab, shall flee away Their cities are going to become desolate verse 10 doesn't seem to fit the context at first you know, that, that, you, you know what verse 10 uh, sounds like, sounds like something you ought to be in don't you think but do you see what he's saying in verse 10
2: it's going to be a complete destruction. And so, like, he's saying, if you stop, like, you'll be cursed. Stop. Stop destroying Moab. Yes.
0: This is a order from the Lord to whoever's destroying Moab and saying, cursed be you if you don't do it really zealously. Mm-hmm. I, want, I don't just want them destroyed. I want them destroyed with all your might. You know, curse be the one who restrains his sword from blood. You make, you, get, you make sure you get your sword as bloody as it can be. That's a way of really emphasizing how Moab is going down and God is cursing whoever the destroyer would be if he doesn't really bring him down. Comments and questions on this section? Verse 9, I have a footnote that says wings
3: um, is salt gives salt. Could be. Yes. So what do you think of that? Because that makes sense with the Moab reference where their history
0: is. But It makes a lot of sense. I like that, actually. Uh, but but it, because you're right, there was a lot of salt in that territory, but what would it mean? If it's actually salt Moab, what would that mean? What is this? Salt, Moab, S-A-L-T. Like, um,
2: put salt destroy on the ground so that it can...
0: Yes, exactly. Salt makes the ground unfruitful, unusable. You know, like put a bunch of salt on it and nothing can grow in the salt. Um, there are passages where that was certainly done, so that makes sense that that could be what he's saying. Do you remember a uh, Abimelech... In Judges chapter 9, um, Abimelech was the, the self-proclaimed judge that, uh, you know, here's what you shouldn't do if you're a judge, don't destroy your own people or then you're not a judge over anything. And that's what he did. He, he was judge over Shechem, but he got mad at the Shechemites and destroyed him. Look at Judges 9.45. Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he razed the city—that's R-A-Z-E-D—he leveled the city and sowed it with salt. Now, he was sowing with salt is he scattered so much salt on it nothing could ever grow there. So you know he managed to destroy the people he was ruling over. And now, so now he's the ruler over nothing. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, really bright, uh, bright fellow, but. Uh, that, good, good observation. Other thoughts on these first ten verses? 11 to 19. See if you can figure out at least somewhat in this section why God is destroying Moab or what he's unhappy with Moab about. 11 through 19.
3: Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed like wine on its dregs. Nor has he emptied his Nor has he been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. Therefore he retains his flavor, and his aroma has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send to him those who tip vessels, and they will tip him over, and they will empty his vessels and shatter his jars. And Moab will be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel for confidence. How can you say, we are mighty warriors, and men valiant for battle? Moab has been destroyed, and men have gone up to his cities. His choicest young men have also gone down to the slaughter, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of Hosts. The disaster of Moab will soon come, and this calamity has swiftly hastened. Mourn for him, all who live around him, even all of you who know his name. Say, how has the mighty scepter been broken, a staff of splendor? Come down from your glory, and sit on the parched ground, O daughter dwelling in Divan. For the destroyer of Moab has come against you. He has ruined your strongholds. Stand by the road and keep watch, O inhabitant of order. Ask him who flees and her who escapes and say, what has happened?
0: Okay, so are you seeing some of why God is destroying Moab? What was wrong? Not so easy to figure out, but...
2: You're at peace.
0: Yes, they are at peace, they are undisturbed, nothing is uh, upsetting them. Now, what happens when everything goes really smoothly for somebody?
1: It's easy to not be productive or become lax and other areas and
0: Yes. Yeah. kind of make you flabby kind of lazy kind of self-satisfied that seems to be the idea moab hasn't gone through much and so like a spoiled child you know never has suffered anything no calamity no hardship you know no punishment He says it's like wine. Now, Moab was famous for his vineyards. So it's like wine that just stays in the same jar. They don't pour it from jar to jar, which is something apparently they had to do to keep it stirred up. I don't know much about wine production, but but he said you didn't have that happen. So what's God going to do in verse 12? (laughs) With the Moabite wine? Pour it out. Pour it out, smash the jars? You know, it's going to be just total devastation. You know, reckless uh, judgment against Moab. Pretty powerful. Uh, and verse 13, do you see another reason why God's punishing Moab? Their God. God. And look at what he says. They will be ashamed of Chemosh, just like the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel. Why was Israel ashamed of Bethel? What does Bethel represent here? The golden calves. And that was the downfall of Israel. Their trust in this idol god Chemosh, is the downfall of Moab. And look at verse 14. What was wrong with Moab? Confident in themselves. Yeah. Prideful. Overconfident in themselves. You know, they had deluded egos. They thought nothing could stop them. We are mighty warriors and men valiant for battle. And look at the end of verse 17. How How has the mighty scepter been broken? You know, as strong as they thought they were, well, it's just disastrous. Verse 15, Moab's destroyed. Young men have gone down to slaughter. Disaster comes. Look at what the neighbors of Moab are ordered to do in verse 17. What are they supposed to do? No. Mourn. What does that tell you about Moab? They're dead. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. So he's inviting people to Moab's funeral. You really uh that's that should be a warning to you if you get an invitation to your own funeral, uh you might not be around long. <laughs> you know, especially if God's the one that offers the invitation. So uh she's brought down, she's brought low. Uh and look at verse nineteen. Um, the the refugees are seeking to know what's happening on the front lines and it's not a good good message Moab is coming down so you see a lot of the reasons and you see God just very strongly issuing the decree for Moab to be destroyed comments or questions on that Well look at verse uh, 20 Moab has been put to shame, for it's been shattered. Wail and cry out. Declare by the Arnon that Moab has been destroyed. Judgment has also come upon the plain upon, And you can glance down through those. I won't try to read them all. Verse 24, against Kiriath, Basra, and all the cities of the land of Moab, far and near. The horn of Moab has been cut off, and his arm broken, declares the Lord. The horn of Moab has been cut off? What does that mean? Their strength. Their strength. Why would you say the horn means their strength?
1: Because usually in regards to an animal, their strength is in their horn. Yes.
0: You know, think about how animals use their horn in battle against other animals. You cut off an animal's horn, then what do you have? yeah you have an animal that really uh, can't do anything Uh, and you break the arm the arms who you know what you hold the sword with or whatever so we are bringing uh, Moab to be you know weak and unable to defend herself that's the idea always remember that horn is a word that has two definitions in English Normally when horn is used in the Bible It doesn't mean musical It means animal That's yeah. uh, so kind of an English thing But it gets confusing sometimes Okay, anything you want to say through 25?
2: Why Like my Bible Uses it as a feminine And then Other versions use it as masculine
0: it- Moab itself yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of how you think Of a country You know would we would we call America a he or a she? She. she? More a she, right? But why? We just do, right? I I don't know. What do, don't we call ships? She. Mm-hmm. But is there any particular reason that you know of? I I don't know why we'd say that. It's just kind of how we say it. George, so you what? <laughs> yeah, they're contrary. They're, okay. Ooh, yeah, that may be it. <laughs> Yeah. a little moody depends on which way the wind's blowing uh, uh, there, there is more logic to this than what we thought <laughs>
1: uh,
0: although I think uh, we're a little outnumbered guys I think we can handle them
1: though.
0: Uh, any, any other uh, you know, uh, brilliant remarks there we're again going to see in this next section a big reason why God is punishing Moab. 26 to 30.
3: Make him drunk, drunk, for he has become arrogant towards the Lord. So Moab will wallow in his vomit, and he will also become a laughingstock. Now was not Israel a laughingstock to you? Or was he caught among thieves? For each time you speak about him, you shake your head in scorn. Leave the cities and dwell among the crags, O inhabitants of Moab, and be like doves that rest beyond the mouth of the chasm. We have heard of the pride of Moab, he is very proud, of his haughtiness, his pride, his arrogance, and his self-exaltation. I know his fury, declares the Lord, but it is futile. His idle boasts have mm-hmm. accomplished nothing.
0: Therefore, I will work. Will- okay, that's good. Oh, okay, sir. Yeah. So what did he tell him to do with Moab in verse 26? Make Moab drunk. Now, I may be wrong, but I have an idea what they're supposed to be drunk on. And it wasn't beer. What does he mean, make her drunk? Is this referring to the idea of the cup of God's wrath? I suspect so. You've got that metaphor that's used all over the prophets of the cup of God's wrath. You get her drunk on god 's wrath, and what happens? she wallows in her vomit, she becomes a laughing stock. you know when you drink god 's wrath, you stagger and wheel and and just you know it 's a way of God punishing moab and so Moab becomes a laughing stock verse twenty seven what had Moab done toward israel laughed now moab is going to be the subject of the laughter, uh, and you can even see in twenty six why God was going to make Moab drink his wrath? What did she become? Arrogant. Arrogant. Look at verse 29 and 30. What was Moab's problem? Pride and and
2: arrogance
0: and and self- and self and more pride. Yeah, she uh, Moab was just about as proud as proud could come look back in Isaiah for a minute you see that in Isaiah 16 it's just like everywhere you see Moab you're going to see pride in the Bible look at Isaiah 16.6 we have heard of the pride of Moab an excessive pride even of his arrogance pride and fury his idle boasts are false I mean it's like wow and Moab was proud, proud, and more proud. Look at Isaiah 25. You've probably seen this before. This is the epitome of pride. Verse 20, verse 10, and we'll have to see this a second. If you don't know this passage, you have to think about it a minute. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile and he will spread out his hands in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim but the Lord will lay low his pride together with the trickery of his hands now this is a picture of the pride of Moab the foolish pride uh, he pictures Mo God trampling on Moab in the middle of a manure pile now that reminds me this is a very uh, graphic picture to me because we had 5000 caged laying hens when we were growing up and we had pits underneath these bays of cages we had a leaky building and a leaky watering system so the manure was uh, kind of the consistency of a thick soup and dad would you know, go underneath the cages with a little lawn garden tractor and a front end loader, and load by load we'd take this manure and put it in a manure spreader. We get this big manure spreader filled up with manure and then we'd spread it over the field and we grow good sweet corn. But I'm just imagining Moab in the middle of this manure spreader being trampled down. That is not a real uh you know, fragrant picture and uh, what does Moab try to do in verse 11 yeah what to what, Cameron swim. swim out well it's a picture of how Moab always is prideful enough to think she can handle it no matter how disgusting it is Moab even when she traveled down to the manure instead of turning to God or tapping out she tries to swim herself out she's going to do it yourself pride is often self-confidence it's often the idea, I can handle it I can do it, that was Moab Moab was had legendary pride, always self-confident, always thought that she could handle it um, the Lord was a lot less impressed with Moab than what Moab was look at verse 30 this is back to Jeremiah 48 verse 30, I know his fury declares the Lord, but it is futile his idol boasts have accomplished nothing. Moab is very pride, but doesn't, have proud, but doesn't have much to be proud of. That's the idea. Comments or questions? Okay, uh, 31 to
2: 39. Therefore I wail over Moab, for all Moab I cry out. I moan for the men of ker <laughs> hareseth I weep for you as Jazer weeps, O vine of Sidna. Your branches spread as far as the sea. They reached as far as the sea of Jazer. The destroyer has fallen of your ripened fruit and grapes. Joy and gladness are gone from orchards and fields of Moab. I have stopped the flow of wine from the presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. Although there are shouts, they are not shouts of joy. The sound of their cries rise from Heshbon to Elia and Jahaz, from Zor as far as Koronaim and (laughs) Eglath. for even the waters of Nimrim are dried up. In Moab I will put an end
0: you can skip the place names if you want. Okay. Right.
2: In Moab I will put an end to those who make offerings on the high places and burn incense to the to their gods, declares the Lord. So my heart laments for Moab like a flute. It laments for a flute it, it laments like a flute for the men of Ker The wealth they acquired is gone. Every head is shaved and every beard cut off. Every hand is slashed and every waist is covered with sackcloth. On all the roofs roofs of Moab and in the public squares, there is nothing but mourning. For I have broken Moab like a jar that no one wants, declares the Lord. How shattered she is, how they wail, how Moab turns her back in shame. Moab has become an object of ridicule, an object of horror to all those around her.
0: How would you summarize that section? Give title. Weeping,
1: mourning for Moab. Yeah,
0: that's it. Mourning for Moab. And the fact that there's so much grieving Moab means what about Moab? Not doing so hot. You know, all the grief and lamentation is an indication that Moab is uh, destroyed. Uh, God is humbling this proud powerful nation. She thought she was powerful. Uh, the grapes are gone. The joy is gone. The wine is gone. The people to tread the wine presses are gone. Uh, verse 35. He's making an end of Moab, the one who offers sacrifice in the high place, the one who burns incense to his gods. So, you see again the false worship, the idolatry of Moab. That's the reason why Moab is going down. My heart wails for Moab. You know, Even the Lord is mourning Moab's loss. It's so bad. You know, it's it's such a painful thing to watch her be destroyed that the Lord, or perhaps Jeremiah, is grieving Moab's uh, defeat. Uh, Moab becomes a laughing stock. You know, all the other people are looking at Moab and snickering. Look at, she thought she was so great. Have you ever seen somebody who's really boastful? But doesn't have anything to brag about you know people like that right they always tell you how great they are but they're really pathetic I mean what about in sports you know can you imagine have you seen somebody who you know before you see them play basketball they keep talking the trash and talking how good they are and all that and then you see them play and they can't hardly dribble the ball you know whatever it is like oh my goodness you know, they become a laughing stock. Here they are all, you know, just puffed up. And you realize they have nothing to be prideful about. You know, it's bad to be prideful even when you have something to be prideful about. It's really bad to be prideful if you don't have anything. You know, that's really dumb. That was Moab. She was all brag and uh, no reality. So the other nations are like, you know, kind of got what was coming to them. Thoughts or comments on this? 40 to 46. For
1: thus says the Lord, behold, one will fly swiftly like an eagle and spread out his wings against Moab. Kiriath has been captured and the strongholds have been seized. So the hearts of the mighty men of Moab in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor. Moab will be destroyed from being a people, because he has become arrogant toward the Lord. Terror, pit, and snare are coming upon you, the inhabitant of Moab, declares the Lord. The one who flees from the terror will fall into the pit, and the one who climbs up out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For I shall bring upon her, even upon Moab, the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the shadow of Heshbon the fugitives stand without strength, for a fire has gone forth from Heshbon, and a flame out of the midst of Sihon and has devoured the forehead of Moab and the scalps of the riotous devilers woe to you Moab the people of Chemosh have perished for your sons have been taken away captive and your daughters into captivity
0: okay so there's this swift eagle that flies into Moab probably talking about the Babylonians and they destroy the strongholds and the heart of the Moabites is like the heart of a woman in labor how does a woman in labor feel We've only got one person in here who's ever been in labor. How was it, Abby? <laughs> Not
1: good. <laughs> yeah. Rather
0: painful, I think that's the idea. She's gonna go through a lot of suffering. Uh because verse 42, he's become arrogant toward the Lord. Look at verse 30 forty four. 33 says, Terror, pit, and snare are coming upon your inhabitant. of Moab declares the Lord. The one who flees from the terror does what? Falls into, the pit. falls into the pit the one who climbs up out of the pit <laughs> <God was there. laughs> you can't get away from it you know you you, you flee from one you know uh, destroying element and run right into the next one you know God's got Moab surrounded she can't get away she's going to be brought down to destruction that's the point the scalps of the rioters revelers and verse 45, they may be living it up but they're going to go down the people of Timosh, again he's judging the Moabite God are taken away into captivity so Moab is facing inescapable judgment but look at 47 yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord thus far the judgment on Moab does 47 seem to fit here? what's 47 saying?
3: There's
1: hope.
0: There's hope for Moab in the future! I wonder what that's talking about. Is there a nation of Moab today? It says something about the last days, or the latter days. So, what does that remind you of? It reminds me of some New Testament
1: passages that talk about how we're living in the last days now and.
0: So what would the hope of Moab be? The gospel? Yeah, I think so. In the end, the Moabites, some of them, some of the descendants of Moabites, would turn to the Lord and be saved. That's the hope for Moab, is salvation in Christ. It's interesting how many of these nations, there's hope in the end, not in their own nation, per se, but through the Lord, there's blessing even for some descendants of Moabites. I think that's the point. Comments or questions on the judgment against Moab here? Probably not the most exciting sections of Jeremiah, but important for us, especially like with Moab. Just keep meditating on how does God look at pride and self-confidence, and, you know, that's a problem for us. You know, maybe we think it's not. Pride is one of those things that's hard to see in yourself. But really think about that and, and work on that. Okay, uh, we've got several nations in chapter 49. So 49, 1 to 6.